Hello everyone and welcome back to the Ulysses Neuroscience Podcast. My name is Kira Connolly and I'm a research assistant in Bianchi's lab at Trinity College Dublin and I'll be your host for this podcast alongside my colleague Amy Freeburn, a research associate at Ulysses Neuroscience. Our topic for this episode is Parkinson's disease. Parkinson's disease, commonly referred to as Parkinson's, is a neurodegenerative disorder that primarily affects movement. In addition to motor symptoms such as tremors, slowed movement, rigid muscles, and trouble maintaining balance, there are also non-motor symptoms associated with the disorder. These can include pain, fatigue, and memory and behavioral changes. The type, severity, and combination of these symptoms can vary greatly from person to person. Hi, Amy. Uh, Would you like to tell us a bit more about Parkinson's and the underlying pathology? Hi, Kara. Thanks for having me. So as you've mentioned, Parkinson's disease is a chronic progressive neurological disorder that can affect each patient uniquely and throughout different stages of severity. How quickly symptoms worsen also varies across individuals and it's difficult to predict at the onset. So Parkinson's occurs when nerve cells or neurons in an area of the brain called the substantia nigra become impaired or die. These cells uh, normally produce dopamine, which is a neurotransmitter that helps the cells of the brain communicate between regions that control muscle movements, such as the basal ganglia, as well as those involved in the brain's pleasure and reward centers. So loss of dopamine causes the movement symptoms seen as the hallmark of the disorder. So as we age, it's normal for cells in the substantia nigra to die. Uh, This process happens in most people at a very slow rate. However, for people with Parkinson's, this happens very rapidly, and it's only when 50 to 60% of these cells are gone that we actually begin to see the symptoms of Parkinson's. Another hallmark of the neuropathology underlying Parkinson's is the widespread aggregation of the alpha-synuclein protein leading to dopaminergic neuronal death. Alpha-synuclein is typically abundant within the brain, however in Parkinson's it misfolds and accumulates into clumps called Lewy bodies, which are thought to be toxic to cells, and that the aggregates of alpha-synuclein may get passed from one neuron to another, causing the spread of the disease throughout the brain. So people with Parkinson's disease also lose another neurotransmitter called norepinephrine or neuroadrenaline, which causes some of the broader non-movement related symptoms such as behavioral and cognitive deficits and disturbances in autonomic functions. While considerable progress has been made in research, the underlying pathophysiology of what causes these neurons to die is only partially understood. Most patients have idiopathic Parkinson's disease, which means the cause is unknown. However, patients with early onset Parkinson's have a more frequent familial history of the disease and a number of genetic factors have been shown to increase a person's risk, although exactly how these make people, some people more susceptible to the condition is still unclear. There's currently no efficient method for early diagnosis or cure. However, symptoms can be somewhat managed using medication that rescue levels of dopamine and noradrenaline. Thank you, Amy. Globally, Parkinson's is the second most common neurodegenerative condition after Alzheimer's. The incidence rate is one to two per 1,000 of the general population and one in 100 of the over 80s, meaning that there are approximately 12,000 people living with Parkinson's in Ireland. About 50% more men than women get Parkinson's disease, and it is most commonly seen in people aged 60 years and older. While Parkinson's is most commonly diagnosed in a person's 60s, it can also affect younger people. For example, those presenting with Parkinson's between 40 to 60 years old are said to have early onset Parkinson's. Up to 10% of patients are diagnosed before age 50. So this brings me to today's guest, Gary Boyle. Gary received a diagnosis of young onset Parkinson's disease in 2009 at the age of 44. In the years that have passed since, Gary has become a champion for an interdisciplinary approach to dealing with Parkinson's and all other neurological conditions, and has gone so far as to cycle 1,300 kilometers around Iceland to range most needed awareness of Parkinson's. 
Having previously been a board member of the Parkinson's Association of Ireland for two years, this year, Gary was elected as a board member of the European Parkinson's Disease Association. Gary has made it his mission to drive patient advocacy forward so that in all medical consultations, the patient is always placed first and is listened to in a way that fosters two-way conversation. Hi, Gary, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks very much, Kira. I'm really thrilled to be here. Thank you very much. Um, could you tell us a bit more about your story and how you received your diagnosis? Yeah, sure. Um, and listening to you kind of establish the, 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 the kind of the history of Parkinson's and what it means and all that, it's always kind of scary, but uh, I've come to, you know, be, be at peace with that. Um, I wasn't at peace 12 years ago when I first got the diagnosis, as, as you said, I was 44 and I had been under investigation for why my arm wasn't moving with my in unison with my feet and my my hand would stop would freeze when I was brushing my teeth and stuff like that you know I had a few things that I was just kind of wondering what they were and we spent a bit of time investigating it and the, the morning of the diagnosis I just felt it was I just need to run into the specialist and see what the what the situation is it'll only be a few minutes and indeed it was only a few minutes but it was a few minutes that totally turned my life upside down and um, I got a, a a consultant who sat in front of me, he kind of twisted my hands and my arms, pushed them in and out. And he said, oh yeah, you've got Parkinson's disease, but don't worry, it won't kill you. And with that, he got up and he walked over to his desk and he started typing something on his laptop. Meanwhile, I was just kind of sitting there with my, my floor, you know, the, the, my, my mouth hit the floor kind of thing. I was totally gobsmacked. And um, I said, I'm 44, I'm not 74. And he said, that's nothing. We had a girl in here yesterday. She's 29. She has it as well. So it wasn't really kind of delivered in a, in a very empathetic fashion. Uh, it was anything but. Um, I was on my own. I don't know how I got home to my wife, um, Joan, and we just kind of spent the afternoon kind of crying our eyes out, wondering what the heck had happened here, you know? And it really kind of was totally transforming uh, in both our lives. Um, I decided to kind of just ignore it and get on with my life and... Uh, take the pills that they give you, which are in these, I don't know if you can see them very well, I know you can't see them on the podcast, but these tiny little pills, you know, for people with fine motor movement, it's a bit of a joke really, isn't it? You know, I mean, you're having a bit of a laugh, aren't you? So, I mean, I've, I've kind of, I bring these with me whenever I'm talking to people because I want to kind of explain um, just the kind of the everyday situations in life that we take for normal can become epic battles and epic struggles for for those of us living with, with Parkinson's, which is most unfortunate, but that's the way it is. Um, I, I don't know how I got Parkinson's disease. Um, you mentioned it's familial in people in young onset territory, or for, for some cases. Um, I had an, an aunt, was when I was growing up, um, my aunt was, was diagnosed with Parkinson's uh, in her 60s, but that's kind of a vague memory that I have, um, not much more. Um, we just don't know where it, it really comes from. And it's, it's very difficult to kind of pin down why one person has it and the other person do doesn't. Um, from my own standpoint, um, when I eventually took my head out of the sand and started to deal with it, I was in a, a much worse condition than the day I was diagnosed. Um, the day I was diagnosed, I was kind of moving fine. You know, I, did, I certainly was not in, in the space where somebody was going to tell me something devastating about Parkinson's disease. But by five years, by the time five years had elapsed, I was very much swooped over. I was tremoring a lot. 
um, I'd lost a load of weight because those those tremors take up a lot of calories, you know, and uh, that's I was needing very well because it couldn't. I couldn't get the food into my mouth properly with my fork because the food would be thrown around the place because uh, you're shaking so much. So really, I had to do something about that. And um, long story short, I left work. Um, I was on put on an insurance scheme called Salary Protection, um, which pays me like two thirds of my salary, and that allowed me to kind of spend my time um, looking after myself and getting myself, you know, back to fitness and back to normal, if you like. I'll never be normal as I was, but I feel a lot better now. Um, I kind of say I'm not cured, but I am better. And that's the way I'm, I'm heading at the moment. And hopefully it'll stay like that for, for some considerable length of time. Thank you for sharing that with us, Gary. And um, so obviously it was a massive shock for you when you went in that day and you said it took quite a long time for you to kind of come to terms with it. And like mm -hmm. you have such a wonderful attitude towards it now. And I really admire it. So would you say that your experience, like having the young, younger onset Parkinson's differs from those diagnosed maybe later in life, in your opinion? Well, yeah, well, I mean, I think, first of all, I'd say I would respect everybody's opinion on what they're going through, because it is such a, it's a devastating kind of, um, you know, diagnosis. And it's, it's something you never want to hear. But I have to say, in the same breath, it's not life over. It's not game over. It's not press the reset button. It's none of those things. And it will take people varying lengths of time to come to, to terms with it. And I think you probably do have to go through a bit of a grieving process, particularly if you're in the younger category. But I mean, some of the good, good things are already there when, you, when you're kind of starting off in, in the young category. For instance, I'm forever young. I'm a young onset Parkinson's person. I'll take that any day. Young, anything keeps me young. That's, that's fine by me. But, um, but seriously, um, for for... For everybody getting their diagnosis, I, I would respect how they feel completely. Um, maybe when you're in the younger category, uh, when you're kind of at the height of your career, you're kind of, you're, you know, you're, you're onwards and upwards, everything is go, go, go. I worked for a, a large um, US multinational and I was like in my prime, literally with them. And I was, uh, you know, just going forward and going up. We'd spent some time in the US. We were looking forward to maybe doing some more. So that all changed. I mean, that, that was two things that kind of just disappeared straight away when I heard those words. Number one, my confidence just evaporated. I, I just, it had been sucked out of me in, in a split second. And number two, um, the idea that I would change jobs or move to another company or whatever was gone, you know, because I, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't not tell people that I have um, this kind of, you know, deteriorating condition. The other thing I'd say is that I am kind of always uh, on the lookout for how we describe things. And um, I'm coming to terms with the fact that it's consistently called a progressive illness. And I, I always have a kind of a thing about something that is progressive. Uh, in, my, in my kind of uh, dictionary, prog progress means something is improving, something's getting better. So I have this conversation with my consultant every year or the registrar, whoever I see. And uh, the comment is making, that is made to me is that, well, it's progressing slowly, Gary. You know, your, your activity is kind of keeping it at bay. And I say, well, I'm actually progressing then in that case because I'm keeping it under wraps. So it's just one of those things. I mean, I like to kind of make a bit of a deal about it so that people kind of can stop and think and say, the words we use affect people who are kind of living with this in a very particular way. And we have to respect that. And you mentioned earlier about, you know, having the patient at the centre. That's why I say the patient must be at the centre. I mean, we must be really respectful. 
the patient is the expert. I mean, I don't want to be an expert. Believe me, I would gladly run away from this if I could. And it'd be great. We'd all be happy. But, um, uh, you know, if, to get things done, um, to get treatments and kind of uh, therapies, you know, intermingling and benefiting each other uh, in a kind of a multidisciplinary way, I think is the most important thing. And it's certainly done a lot for me. And I'm, I'm, I'm a totally different person today compared to where I was um, in 2014 and certainly in 2009. So, I mean, that's what I would say, you know, make sure the patient is listened to by, by everybody. That's great to hear that you're in a better place, Gary. And I definitely agree with what you said about language. I think what the language we use is definitely really important. Um, would you think there's any common misconceptions or stigmas associated with Parkinson's kind of similar to that? Yeah, I mean, I mean, let's face it, we all have kind of ideas about um, things we know nothing about. And I knew very little about Parkinson's other than the, the day I heard that I had it, it's something I knew I'd never wanted. And uh, that, that's the way I feel. Um, it, it's very strange. Uh, people say things like, um, you don't look sick, uh, you know, and, and how can you react to that? Um, a friend of mine, she, a friend of mine who has Parkinson's, she broke her wrist a few months ago and she was wearing a cast on her arm for, for about six weeks. And she said, more people came up to her, like in her hometown, to say, are you okay? I mean, you broke your wrist, you poor thing, you know, all that kind of stuff. And when, when, the, when the pastor was gone, nobody said anything to her, you know? Now, I mean, you don't go around wearing a badge saying, I have Parkinson's disease or anything like that, but it's just kind of the way people react is, is, is strange sometimes, but it's something that I feel we have to, we people living with Parkinson's have to do better at kind of informing people what it's like. Um, it's not, as I said, game over, it's, it's life changing, but not life ending. And it's really important to kind of grasp onto that. And I'm saying things now that I know when I was diagnosed, I didn't want to hear. Like, I didn't want to hear it's not life ending or anything like that. I didn't want to hear it. what I wanted to hear when I was diagnosed was I actually don't have it, but I do have it. So I have to live with it. And it, if, if it kind of gets the better of me, I won't have an outlook on life that kind of, you know, is forward looking. And I just think there's so much you can do still even with kind of 50 or 60 percent of your your dopamine missing kind of you know on a wall traveling around your brain doing everything it's not supposed to do i mean it's 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 really important to understand that you can do just about pretty much anything um, with the proper kind of training and, and proper attention to detail and stuff like that but you can still do that when you have parkinson's disease um with help from others and with respect from others and with you know, a proper diet, proper uh, sleep, proper kind of set of exercises, etc. I'm really big into exercise because I found that it has really transformed my life. I know not everybody is in the same situation and they're not as fortunate to be able to move as, as, as much as they like. But the other area you have to keep very fit is your brain. And it's very important. Um, my, my friend, uh, Professor Sabina uh, Brennan in Trinity College, she has her top three things for brain health. Number one, have a conversation, you know, like what we're doing today. Number two, have a hobby because it kind of gets you to think about other things. And number three, smile because smile reduces, or sorry, releases endorphins in your brain, which is really great and helps you to kind of stay focused and stay happy. So, I mean, you're not happy every day. That's not, I'm not advocating that at all, but I am saying there is life 
uh, after a diagnosis of Parkinson's, but it is very changed and it is sometimes a challenge to kind of, to, you know, to focus on that. But that's, that's what I've tried to do and we're going to try to keep doing. That's a really great attitude to have. And um, related to those misconceptions, from my own experience of talking to people, I think a lot of people really associate Parkinson's with the physical symptoms, but could you tell us a bit more about those hidden cognitive symptoms? Yeah, I mean, Parkinson's kind of gets into everything. Um, it gets into the physical symptoms, of course, as you've mentioned, but it also gets into things like, you know, spontaneity. Um, you know, let's go somewhere, let's do something. Um, and then I'm immediately thinking, oh shit, right, now what do I have to do? I have to kind of make sure I have my medication and I have to have this and I have to have that. Like everything becomes a little bit more labored. Um, let's, let's go out for a meal. Great thing to do. Okay, but like I have to take my pills before um, I eat and it has to be an hour and a half after and then I take another one. And it's just things become a little bit more um, uh, planning oriented and you have to kind of really, you know, put an effort into getting to, to do something sometimes and, and that's that can be really really annoying um i mentioned about the pills trying to take them out of the little blister practice stuff like that um really those kind of things that shouldn't be um you know there are no nobody with without parkinson's has that problem but it's very hard to kind of explain when you don't look sick what's what what's going on in your head and what's kind of what you're thinking of and you're anticipating what's going to happen next and you know how are you going to deal with that um, you know, you can prepare as best you can, but then something can come from left field and, and throw you off guard. You can have a situation where you, you're taking your medication and then your medication doesn't work. And then you're, you really feel kind of stressed and, and on the spot, you're kind of exhibiting kind of some of the more common, uh, you know, traits of Parkinson's situations like that. I mean, we have to, there's, there's a balance somewhere that we each of us have to find. Um, the balance that works for me may not work for somebody else, but when the patient is the centre of attention regarding kind of an inter interdisciplinary approach, people who are involved in that and involved in the care of that person and the person themselves can learn how to kind of get through pretty much most situations. But it is a learning process and it is something that, you know, I really wish the consultants would kind of engage much more in, and, and it's part of my mission is kind of to try and get the consultants who are brilliant people. I mean, they have such incredible skills. They are, um, the, you know, they're literally peerless when it comes to the brain, but peerless doesn't mean that you're not empathetic and you're not able to engage with your patient and you're not able to kind of reassure your patient about what he or she is going through. And that, you know, this is how the degrees how the, sorry, how the disease deteriorates. That's why I don't say this is why this is how the disease progresses because you don't want to hear that the disease is progressing and you're probably struggling. You want to kind of celebrate every success that you get in being able to walk those five kilometers and being able to cycle around Dublin or Iceland if you're totally mad in being able to kind of do that Irish set dancing that you never did in your life before, but you're doing now because it does so much for your balance, your gait, your, your um, arm swing, and also for your, your interacting with other people because the social side of it is so important. There are the things that we, we, we take on board and any of us who have taken them on board have benefited tremendously from that. But the motivation to do that can be very low for lots of times for, for partisan people. I mean, it can be very much a case of what's the point? And I say, well, the point is 
we can have a better life. We don't have to sit there and just kind of, you know, take our pills and do nothing. You mentioned that there are possibly 12,000 people in the country living with Parkinson's disease. I think it could be more than that. But I think the fact that we don't even know exactly how many people have are living with Parkinson's is, is crucial because it's very hard to develop a strategy for, for people living with Parkinson's if we don't know many people we're, we're actually trying to work for and work with. But what I would say is that we need to get that information out there as quickly as possible. We need to get people aware of what it's like to have a, a deteriorating neurological condition like Alzheimer's and dementia and MS and all the other kind of horrible little uh, diseases that, that are out there. Um, it's really important to kind of understand and learn and be aware of what people are going through. So, I mean, my advocacy kind of self-imposed role is just because the frustrations I've had, I don't want anybody else to have them. And I can, I've found a way to kind of deal with some of them. And I'd like to share that with people, but I don't, I don't care if anybody doesn't listen or anything that. That's not really important. The important thing is that we don't have just a one-way kind of, um, the consultant says X and everybody does X. It doesn't work that way. It really doesn't. We're, we're all individuals um, with a common, a common deteriorating condition. And I, I really think the consultants need to kind of recognize that and encourage people to, to try different therapies and different routes that can do different things for them. And that will give them much more hope than just kind of, you know, taking, taking pills and, and nothing else. Yeah, for sure. Like you're definitely at the forefront of patient advocacy. I actually just love hearing you speak about it. I really do. And just when you mentioned there, like the lack of engagement that you feel kind of from consultants or the lack of support, even in that moment of diagnosis, so blasé, just, oh, you have Parkinson's, but it won't kill you. Yeah. Were there anything, like any associations or communities that kind of helped you in that little first while to kind of get you where you are now? Um, like I, I rang like a um, hotline, you know, Parkinson's helpline kind of thing about, about a week later. And um, I got this very empathetic person who was, you know, listening to me and saying, yes, I feel so bad for you and stuff like that. And as, a, as the conversation went on, I just felt <laughs> this is getting me nowhere. It's actually making me feel worse. And then the person said, look, I'll send you out some, you know, literature and, and booklets and stuff like that. And I said, yeah, thanks. Thanks very much. And what, I, what arrived in my door was kind of a, a booklet with um, you know, a picture of a, a man in the front kind of doubled over. This is Parkinson's disease. And I thought, I wonder what's on page two, you know, and it was another man doubled over in kind of, you know, he was, he was worse than the guy on the front page, you know, and then the page three was kind of um, a young, young onset guy with his family. And he was clearly kind of had a, a very unhappy face on and the family were very unhappy as well. So I, I didn't go to page four. I just kind of put the book aside and left there and I ran away from it and I never looked at it again. And I just think that's because we don't know because and we don't know because we're not engaging and it's really important to get people i mean you're just hearing my story i mean there's loads of other stories there's there's probably twelve thousand other stories there are there are twelve thousand other stories and every one of them is has a little kind of twist in in the direction that things have gone for for those people but i can assure you that when we get together and share our stories and are in the animated conversation our brains are buzzing and we're feeling really good and we're, we're really kind of thinking, wow, this, this makes a lot of sense. When we finish our Irish set dancing classes, um, 
that we've been doing online now for nearly two years because of COVID-19, we leave about 20 minutes at the end to have a discussion. And a lot of people have said over the last two years, set dancing is great, it's great fun, it's great exercise, it's great balance, but I love the cup of tea and the social chat at the end of it. That's really helpful. And I'm thinking of the 12,000 people in the country living with Parkinson's. I, I, I barely know maybe a few hundred of them. So, you know, what's happening to the other 11 or 12,000 people? What are they going through? What are, who's listening to them? Who's talking to them? Who's helping them? And I don't, be, I don't want to be patronising anybody. I'm just saying, let's, we need to open the conversation. Put a device in everybody's hand. Put a, put a smartphone, or better yet, put a, put a tablet in everybody's hand. As, as broadband rollout is going on across the country, let's put some common sense into this. Put a tablet in everybody's hand. Show them how to make it work and show them how to press FaceTime and see their kids or press the internet and go in and do some banking online, which... You know, the banks are forcing us to do anyway because they're closing all the branches, you know, so it kind of makes sense. To, but we found that with the, the set dancing online, a lot of people resisted that at the start. People who were kind of dancing for years that was giving them such a really good um, exercise workout and stuff like that. So we sat with everybody who wanted to go online but were kind of afraid of technology and stuff like that. And they probably wouldn't be all young onset people. So, I mean, you can imagine they're probably a little bit older than me. But once they got it, they really got it and they've stuck with it. And we now have twice the number of people doing uh, our set dancing online compared to what we had when we were face to face. So I think that is a real measure of people can respond and can change and they can help themselves when they're kind of directed and instructed and they're given help rather than being patronized. And I just think if we can do it for a few hundred people, we can do it for thousands. And you know, never has there been a better opportunity or a better time to do this because all of us across the country have been affected by COVID-19 in one way or another. And, you know, some of us are working from home. Some of us are kind of um, using technology in a way we never used before. This technology we're using today, Zoom, is not very new. I mean, it's, it's been around for a long time, but it's, it feels new because we're, we're doing so many wonderful things with it. We should keep doing this. We, we should keep doing this. We should make it happen for everybody else. Why should it not be used to help people who are otherwise pretty much housebound to kind of come out and, you know, experience something that they probably wouldn't have anticipated at all? The only thing that that, that, that is going to do is improve their brain health. And I think that is really, really important. And it's a message that we just have to keep saying over and over and over again. You know, so, I mean, as long as I'm going to be around, I'll probably be saying that, you know, so just putting it out there, you know, just warning people, I'll probably be tweeting about it again sometime, but I, I think it's just so important to do it. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think a lot of people complain about Zoom fatigue, but we forget how useful a tool it is to connect with people that aren't local to your area or if you're not able to get out of the house. So it's definitely going forward, I don't think it's something we're going to forget about. And um, talking from your Twitter, we have seen from your Twitter, you're really um, outspoken about patient advocacy. So could you tell us about your involvement in any organizations or any groups that you feel um, help patient advocacy? Yeah, I mean, I, I probably the, any of the groups that are kind of um, doing things like the set dancing online or, or the gym um, kind of workouts that we do, um, or Pilates or whatever, I mean, all of those are opportunities to kind of share with people why you're doing, why are you doing Pilates? Why are you doing um, rock steady boxing? Why are you doing uh, 
what the hell are you doing cycling around Iceland? I mean, you know, that kind of stuff. And it's really to kind of say to people, look, um, I want I want you to kind of know that I kind of I'm living with something that is a deteriorating situation, but I can fight this and I can at least keep the pitch level playing field as, as long as possible by doing all these things. So, you know, really encourage people you know who have Parkinson's or indeed any neurological condition to kind of be a little bit more active, you know, in, in a respectful manner. I mean, it's really, it's really about a case of being listened to and being understood. And I, I would say, you know, try what you can, uh, but don't accept the status quo. It's, it's not good enough for, for us to kind of be told by consultants or, or anybody else that, well, you know, just keep taking your pills because they're the only things that really make a difference. They're not. These pills are really important. They're, they're critically important. They're, they keep me alive, but they work so much better when I do a kind of a multidisciplinary approach, as I've mentioned already. They work so much better when I'm when I feel better, because I feel better when I run or when I walk or when I swim or cycle. Well, maybe not swim, because that's just so hard. But anyway, um, it's 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 whatever it is that takes your fancy when you're when you're kind of diagnosed with Parkinson's. You don't have to stop like it's not it's not life is not over life has changed and we need people to understand that but we need to understand that um things like what i mentioned about broadband and stuff like that the tools that we all operate with and take for granted are not something that everybody has grasped in the parkinson's world because it's never been discussed before it's never been used this way before a lot of people are going to webinars now uh, because they're online and they're getting huge value and huge you know, information and, and education from that. And it's fantastic to see so many people who otherwise wouldn't do it because they feel technology is passing by. So this is really important. I mean, Parkinson's patients today are becoming a lot more informed about themselves and a lot more informed about the myriad of research that's going on and some brilliant research is going on in Ireland as well. I mean, Ireland is really to the fore in so many things between what they're doing in Galway and in Cork and in Limerick and in Trinity. I mean, it's it's just phenomenal. So things are definitely changing and people need to understand that to give themselves some hope and give themselves some encouragement that, yeah, you know, I can go online, I can see my kids, my grandkids, because I know how to do FaceTime now, or I can do Zoom and I can do whatever else I can do, something maybe I wouldn't have been able to do 10 years ago. So we really have an opportunity with, with kind of the awfulness of COVID the kind of small silver lining that I can pick out of that is that everybody should be able to connect with everybody else. And we, we really ought to ourselves and we ought to everybody who is having a difficulty with that to help them get there because I think it's, it's going to transform the delivery of healthcare over the next couple of years because it's using you know, technology in the correct way. I really hope it does. And um, I really admire your passion for exercise. And I was really fascinated about your cycle around Iceland. I'd actually been there myself and I know the terrain is quite tough and everything. So could you tell us about what inspired that um, journey for you? Yeah, um, a good buddy of mine is a chap called John McVie. He's from um, Scotland and he has done the most crazy things because uh, he's a young onset guy as well. And uh, he's, he's probably diagnosed at the same time as myself. And we're, we're about the same age, although I think I'm older. So, John, if you're ever listening, I, I don't mean to say that I'm younger than you or anything like that. But anyway, um, he, he kind of had a, um, an idea 
to walk from John O'Groats to Land's End in the UK. So he walked the length of the UK and he drew a straight line and he walked straight down. And if he had to go through, you know, if there was a lake, he didn't go around the lake, he got a boat, he went straight across the lake and all that kind of stuff. So he's a really kind of great guy. Um, and he kind of said to me, I'm doing, um, I'm organising to get 10 of us together to do a trip around Iceland. Would you like to, do, to be part of it? And I said, yeah. Not thinking that it was ever going to happen, you know. But then suddenly I found myself in Reykjavik with the big box which my bike was in. And uh, we all met up. And the 10 of us had never met before. And five of the 10 of us were living with Parkinson's. And, um, we, you know, we, we just clicked, we gelled. And it was the most incredible um, three days of my life. We were there for about a week. It was actually a race. It was called the, the Wow Cyclothon, which is, it happens every year in, in Iceland. And you're absolutely right. The terrain and the landscape and the topography is, is unbelievable. And the changes are incredible when you go through different areas, you know. But um, it was a bit of a, there was a competitive element to it. And we wanted to make sure that we didn't come last and that we did it within the, the time frame. So you were given, I think, 72 hours, maybe two and a half days, 60 hours to do it. And we finished in second last place on 58 hours, 59 minutes and 52 seconds or something mad like that. You know, so we were absolutely thrilled. It was really good. And in, in, in the kind of running of that, we managed to raise a few thousand euro uh, for the Cure Parkinson's Trust UK, which is the charity he was, he was representing. So it was, it was brilliant. It was really good. Would I have ever done that if I hadn't had Parkinson's? Not a chance. No way. I mean, some of the things I've done since Parkinson's has entered my life um, are, I kind of think, what was I thinking? You know, we jumped out of a plane, my wife and I, a couple of years ago um, with parachutes and we uh, raised money for my daughter was going to India for stuff like that. You know, I mean, it's just, you kind of feel when you have Parkinson's, you get a chance and you kind of have to take it. Don't be reckless, but just, you know, it's about living your life in a different way. And that's what I would encourage people to do because when you do something like that, you get a kind of feel for, okay, this diagnosis is really not great. In fact, it's horrible. But there is a life out there and there is a life that, you know, I can figure out my own path through it with the fantastic help and love and support of my family and my friends. And I've met some incredible people since I've started on this Parkinson's journey. And it is absolutely amazing what they are capable of and what they have done and what they continue to do. And I've met people who are unfortunately not very mobile and are not able to kind of do all the things they want to do, but they still appreciate a call in, a cup of coffee, a chat, and that makes them feel pretty good. So, I mean, there's lots of things you can do. You can kind of charter a plane and fly off to Antarctica if you want, or you can just kind of call into somebody or click them on, on Zoom and you can make a difference. And it's that kind of thing I want to try and encourage. Everything that engages a person living with a neurologic condition, particularly Parkinson's, um, responds very well to social contact. And if that's all it ever was, that would be something that it isn't at the moment. And that'd be great. You make me question what I'm doing with myself in my spare time. Um, I, don't know. I mean, I, I think it's, it's, it's good to, you know, like I would be the same. I mean, like 12, 13 years ago, I, I was kind of cruising along like I was thinking about where I was going and stuff like that. And yeah, it was very stressful, really stressful. And that probably was a big factor in, in why, you know, I, I 
I did develop your answer, Parkinson's, but I mean, it's not, I, I'm, I'm not kind of, um, it's not a case of I'm criticizing people. I think everybody has, you know, has something that kind of motivates them or gets them focused. And surprisingly for me, it's kind of, I've got this flipping deteriorating condition, but I actually feel, I feel the best I've ever felt in my entire life. I'm certainly fitter than I was 15 years ago, which is amazing, but there you go. That's, that's the way I feel about it. Yeah, I love hearing about the sense of community with the people that you surround yourself with, like five out of 10 of you is having Parkinson's in Iceland. That's incredible. Um, I feel like such a sense of like looking forward, like you're so optimistic and you're so, it's just wonderful. Um, I want to go back to, you mentioned the ongoing research in the field. Um, is there anything that you've heard that you're particularly excited about in like regards to therapies or research on therapies? Yeah, um, I think at the moment there's a lot of focus on on the gut and you know a lot of kind of the bacteria in the gut and how they respond and react and what kind of gets traveled up to because they've discovered a connection between gut health and you know what's going on in your brain and i think that's probably one of the newer most most recent kind of breakthrough areas the, what i will say though is i mean the fact that this research is going on is just is wonderful i mean like professor Aidan sullivan in cork is doing amazing research and and Jared as well and um, I just I'm just so grateful to people like that who are putting their spending their working their, their entire day really um, trying to make life better for me I think I'm so grateful for that I'm so appreciative of that and so is the entire community and like what Eileen Stout is doing in Galway is just unbelievable um, and it's getting international recognition and I think like we're, we're a small country but I always felt that Ireland punches way above its weight when it comes to art and literature and sport and now when it comes to research into you know a condition that nobody has yet found a cure for um but we're making strides in areas that were were unheard of five years ago and i think that that is truly wonderful and I, I think we should we should really champion these people and encourage them and support them as much as possible because the work they're doing i'm so grateful it's, it's transforming lives and I've, I've seen from your Twitter that you've also been very outspoken about um, lack of support for certain um, groups, Parkinson's and other neurological conditions. Um, would you have any ideas for how the government could act to better support patients and their families? Yeah, they could. They could immediately take on about 20 specialist nurses. I mean, it is, it is really, I've gone on and on about this a lot this year. It's really shameful that we have a situation where in the north of Ireland, Northern Ireland, um, where they are not happy with their kind of the ratio for um, nurses to patients, but they have 22 specialist Parkinson's nurses in the north and in the south, in the Republic, we have six. And I think that is that one statistic is, is I'm going to batter people, politicians around the head with that statistic until it changes, because that is a real measure for me of, you know, we're saying one thing and we're doing another, you know, and, and I think it's, it's kind of ironic that the research that I've spoken about that is so good and it's, it's coming from Ireland it's so really breakthrough stuff and what do we have we have an absolutely crap situation on the ground where people don't get to see nurse from one end of the year to the next I mean it's if we don't invest now unfortunately these um, neurological conditions are increasing at a faster rate every year and the one that's kind of increasing fastest of all is yeah Parkinson's disease you know so if we don't put in the resources now 
and learn to tackle it now and learn to kind of experience kind of what it's like to live with Parkinson's and try and find out the many ways there are to kind of make that situation as easy as possible. We're going to end up with people in their 60s and 70s being, you know, carted off to nursing homes when they shouldn't be, you know, because that's what, if we don't put in prevention today, the cure tomorrow is going to be, is going to just overcome us all. It really is. I mean, and I'm, I'm no expert, but I mean, you can just do the math and you'll, you'll figure that out pretty quickly. So I, I'm not going to let um, Stephen Donnelly or um, Paul Reed or anybody like that off the hook, even though I've met them individually and they're, they're really lovely people, but I'm, I'm just poking at their position and I'm poking at, you know, come on guys, you know, be, be, do something really kind of sensible take on more nurses so that the load is spread, but not only that, so that the people who need the, the therapy or the help can get it. And they can get it in many different ways. But right now we, we have, we're so far behind in the support for people with Parkinson's that it's, it's really, it makes me angry and it makes me very sad. Yeah, I mean, do you think that already existing lack of support and services has been more impacted by COVID? I know you've adapted, um, as the community mentioned, the online set dancing. I know it's not the same as a cup of tea in a chat, as you've mentioned. But do you think on the kind of multidisciplinary side of what services there are that has that has been affected by COVID as well? Yeah, and I think actually in a positive way, because I mean, I think the fact that we can, you know, we, we, we've gotten over the hump of figuring out where's the mute button? Uh, where is the foot move button? Which is the first kind of six or seven days dancing when we first moved on to uh, doing it online and people were talking all over each other and nobody could hear anybody. And then we had to mute everybody and say, now guys, just learn to kind of turn off your microphone when you're speaking amongst yourselves. But I think um, we have to kind of, we have to understand that um, we're all going through a lot of change, a significant amount of change. COVID-19 has forced us down that route. Um, some people have embraced that change. I think we've done a lot. The Parkinson's, Parkinson's community have done a lot to kind of embrace that change and help people. Because, I mean, what would it have been like if nobody had gone online and nobody had done any exercise uh, in the last year and a half because COVID-19 had kept us all in our houses? I've, I've experienced what it would be like because I've met people who unfortunately weren't in a position to kind of have the technology available and to use it. And sadly, some of them have deteriorated a little bit more, you know, and that's what tells me we need to keep moving. You know, we need to keep acting and keep, you know, keep the pressure on and make sure people understand what they can do for themselves and how important that is. Not that the care is 100% self-directed. No, that they, they learn to do things that can really benefit the other things that they are doing as well. And that's something that's so important. A little bit of learning, um, a little bit of awareness, a little bit of knowledge can really help change that situation. And I just don't understand why it is so difficult to, to, to make that happen. You know, um, I mean, we're not the poorest country in the world. We've got a really brilliant health service. You may, you may kind of gasp at that, but I think we have one of the best health services in the world, given that we only funded to the extent of about 4 or 5% through PRSI. I mean, we're... we're, we're we're complaining about, you know, the services and the, the lack of availability of services in the HSE. Yet we're not prepared to pay for it. And then we compare ourselves to Germany and France, where they pay three times the rate of PRSI that we do. You know, 
amazing. They have better services. Incredible. Whoever thought that? Wow. What's the secret? Money. You know, I mean, for God's sake, you know, as they say again, do the math. So I, I just I just think that we have to be really um, cognizant of a couple of things. People, unfortunately, are not all at the same level in terms of their treatment for Parkinson's. That's, that's not good. Um, they're not at the same level because the resources aren't allocated. That's not good. And they're also not at the same level because they don't know. They're not aware. And that, for me, is completely not good. I mean, that is just... And that's the part where we can all play our own part and, you know, use whatever opportunity we have to kind of increase the knowledge that's out there in a respectful manner. And that's not just for Parkinson's. That's for, that's for pretty much any illness, you know, you know neurological condition or not. Um, that's, that's, that's the way forward, I think. I definitely agree with what you've been saying. And I know we keep repeating ourselves throughout the podcast, but it's been really great hearing you um, speak so eloquently about all of this and your attitude and your... Um, the importance you place on advocacy. It's been really great to hear. And um, we're coming to the end of our podcast now, but we just wanted to finish up by asking if there's anything you would like to say to anyone listening who's been recently diagnosed with Parkinson's or who might know someone who's been recently diagnosed. Yeah, that's, that's a really good point. Um, look, the first thing I'd say to them is, I'm really sorry for your, your news. It is really horrible. Um, I'm not going to kid you. It's not nice. Um, it's not something you wish for. It's all of those things and more. And you're probably thinking right now, I won't be able to do this, and I can't do that. And yeah, you, you will feel that way. You'll definitely feel that way. You'll feel that way for some time. But if, if there's anything that can convince you um, that it's life changed as opposed to life ended, it's talk to some people you know who might be in the same category as you, who might be in the same position as you, and it doesn't have to be somebody with Parkinson's. It could be somebody with any other neurological condition. Um, life goes on. Life always goes on. But our lives are changed completely. And we have to, yeah, it's really tough, but we have to kind of figure out our pathway out of this. But there is a pathway out of this, and that's what's so important. It does not have to be that you kind of take some pills, if you can get them out of those blister packs, and uh, do nothing else look for help, demand help, put your politician under, you know, a lot of pressure about the lack of services that are, that exist, but for your own mental health and for your own mental state, talk to somebody, talk to your, your husband, your wife, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, whoever it is, and say what you feel, because you do need to get through this. It's a really difficult diagnosis. It's, You've probably had it delivered to you in a very offhanded manner, and I'm really sorry that that's the case, but we're working on that. We're trying to get that situation. But in your case, um, you can live, and I think you will live uh, possibly even a better life, but you'll certainly live a life that is nothing like you imagine it to be right now, because right now you're feeling it's going to be awful. It doesn't have to be awful. It can be quite good, but it requires a lot of things to, to kind of get in motion and the more we kind of push for it the more it will, it will happen thank you so much gary for joining us today and sharing your experience with us it was really a privilege chatting with you and we're both wishing you the best as you continue to advocate for your community and thank you amy for co-hosting with me today and thank you for listening and be sure to join us again soon
Thanks a million. Thank you very much.